Welcome to Credibly Curious. I'm Saskia. And I'm Nick. And today we're doing something different, a little different. We're talking, we're doing the first ever live code review of my code, <laughs> which <laughs> yeah. I'm not Very entirely brave. happy about, I guess. <laughs> I have mixed feelings, let's put it you like that. You have mixed feelings? Is in like you're not like happy about your code or like you're... I mean, or about the review? I think a code review is always a daunting prospect, right? Yeah, I think so. It's like when you send your, like, yeah, it's like when you send something to your friend and you're like, oh, can you, like, read this? Uh, and, like, it's a little bit scary sharing that sometimes if you send, like, a manuscript to them. Exactly. And then I think with code it is even more so because I guess at least to me, we don't, I might not know as many rules as I know for what good writing is. I know way more rules for that than I know for what um, code should look like. Yeah, I mean, well, for sure, like we've been writing for, like writing English for a, for a lot longer or just writing prose in general than we have been writing code. So like the idea of sharing your, like of, understanding of what's good or bad grammar and that sort of thing is like so like we have so many more years experience with that yes Whereas like code like so much less that is and so it's not cool. like a normal thing to like it's not as like practiced you know especially in academia i feel like if you're working in like a production environment where you have to get like your code has to be like evaluated to like meet certain criteria um, or specs or that sort of thing it's a much more normal part of the process but it's still I think kind of a new idea in academia yeah I've never done it before so this is the first time oh really this is a yes, oh cool it's a complete novelty for me fantastic so, yeah we also wanted to focus on something in particular with our code review which isn't really the biggest part of a code review and maybe we should go through what a code review actually is but we want to focus on a good style because that's something that mm -hmm. we've become interested in um, which actually really links in with grammar in particular in the English language, right? Because it's style encoding is all about having it look good so it's easy to read or as Hadley said, it's like correct punctuation. You can kind yes. of manage without it, but it makes it sure easier to read when you have good punctuation. Yeah. So that's what we're going to look at. Um, but that's actually the most important part of a code review. It's interesting. I, I think that if someone submitted like just a single block of text to you with no with no line breaks, just like a giant paragraph of a paper, um, I think probably one of the first things you'd do would like would be to try and separate this out into some reasonable paragraphs, and you might add some some line spacing or something. So I, I think that it's actually one of the first things that I would probably like that would catch you, I guess. Yeah. So it's. I guess it's just kind of also assume that it would be there maybe in the more advanced code reviews that we see around yeah so maybe that's why it doesn't get as much attention and obviously there are also automated tools these days that can be used in order to make sure that the code adheres to certain rules and um, yeah looks in a, looks a certain way yeah for sure so they um yes yeah, so the tidyverse now has the style or the styler package um which sort of automates that. So uh, that was actually one of the first things I did when I got your code review is I just <laughs> highlighted all the text and then I think it's like Command-Shift-A will just do like a format of it. So it's not necessarily the way that I would do it, but it, like it does just add a lot more white space and um, line breaks and that sort of thing. Yes. Um, 
And then there's also obviously the wonderful Lind R, which we should mention. Yeah. So that it sort of goes hand in hand with style R, which yep. can be used in order to sort of critique, automatically critique the style of um, your code. Um, yeah. It's, and I think we both independently ran that on my code. It's really cool. Yeah. So like you, you get this nice linting in R Studio where it comes up with like a little exclamation mark or something on the left-hand side where, like, your line numbers are. And that's really cool because that'll say, like, oh, like, you've referred to a variable here that you haven't, like, created yet. Or it'll say something like, ah, oh, if you're using an if statement, you should put spaces around this part. Um, yeah, very useful. Then, like, I was hmm. pretty amazed when I tried it out how clear the messages were that you got back from it, the feedback was pretty good. I think linting is like the process of finding bad patterns, I guess, in your code. Yeah, yeah. So it, it does try to pick up errors as well, but obviously that's a little bit harder than just trying to pick on style yeah. because style is much easier to automatically critique. And that's why in professional code reviews, you can sort of automate that part of the process but then for the actual sort of is this code doing what it's supposed to be doing is it like general enough mm. can it be easily produced all of these mm -hmm. other questions you then have to actually have a human being go yep. through the code and try to understand what the programmer has written and sort of get a, get a feeling of what could be done better um, mm. or what could be refactored and all of these good things, and then give feedback on those on those aspects. Yeah. So should we um should we start like with your code review? Maybe I should say what I was trying to do before you. That's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So you sent me some code. Because one I thing of this code review I think is interesting just to say up front is that I I can't actually run your code because I don't have like the the data or like the special like um, command line tools that you use exactly for what you're going to do, which is, if you can tell me what you're going to do. So, <laughs> so I was a bit terrible in what I gave Nick to review um, because we were trying to focus on style as well and not so much on like what was actually being done in this code. I gave you just something I was working on at work, which is um, trying to look at um, at the genomic output that we get from um, fr from our essays, from our experiments, and then tr it's trying to estimate how with more, if we did more sequencing, so if we did more of the experiment, mm -hmm. um, did more measurements, whether that would improve our results or not, whether we would get more of what we were after, and how much more uh -huh. would we be getting. So that's what it's trying to do. But that is like... Not at all clear because I wasn't giving you production ready code at all. I gave you something that I was sort of like half half done with, really, as mm. a matter of fact. But that was because I was interested mainly in like, yeah, is my style super terrible? Is it readable? Like what would a person that codes much longer and much better than me, what would that person think of like the style? So, yeah, what does my code smell like? I guess the first question. Ooh, um, <laughs> Ooh is never good. <laughs> so, it's, well, I think it, it had a smell of like something that definitely worked. Um, 
Yeah, not so sure. It does work. No, I've run it several times now on several different things. So I think I was like, okay, like this, like definitely smells like something. I was like, all right, like this feels like something that will work, but it, uh, I'll, I've actually gone through and changed a bit of your code. So I'm just going to look at the original code that you sent me just to describe sure. the smells and feels of this. The, the, the smells and feels. So I think it's actually like, like I think it like it smells good. This is like a lot of like things that would that feel very context specific, and also like a lot of times where there's um, nested calls or things that are just a little bit like take a bit of unraveling to understand. So like yes. there's some times where you're doing like some things where you're calling s apply like twice within s apply. I um, love doing that. It's I so yeah. Useful. I still I I don't know what that does. What that does. What that did. Um, and then there was one thing where I was like, oh, um, and that's where you had a try statement. And I've always just been like really like try and while calls are something that I'm always a little bit like. Yep. I'm never 100% sure. Like I feel like. Maybe I should sure mention that this is code that is meant to run on the server or a cluster. Mm -hmm. So, and. Okay. Um, yeah, so as part of this, obviously, sometimes sometimes stuff doesn't work and you don't want the whole script to, like, die at that point. You yeah. want it to keep going and potentially still give you some output, but then make it sort of clear, which is not necessarily what's happening in this, mm -hmm. part, in this code, that this part hasn't worked. Okay, so I think I'd like to describe the, like, the first things that I did when I saw your code. Cool. Um, so what I did was I, I ran, I selected everything and ran command shift A, which does some styling on that. So you can see that in um, in R Studio, there's a code option, like a code, I don't know, window um, in like the menu, and then you can say reformat code. And so that gave me like a good starting point. Um, I then ran, there's a package uh, that Hadley has written called requirements. And what this does is this will search through code to find the necessary um, the necessary packages that you need like for this. Oh, interesting. Cool. So uh, because I noticed with a quick like a quick scan, you're using the uh, the parallel package and that it looked like you were doing some library calls in other places. So I ran that. Um, and then I ran a couple of other, actually I need to, yes, I ran a couple of statements that are a little bit different. They are, um, they're these things that check if you have a package installed and if you don't, it installs them. Um, so cool. that's like this little if statement. Um, that's very useful. I should put yeah. that in all of my things. It's pretty, it was pretty handy. Um, and then I also wrote a comment for you to input one or two sentences at the top of the script to describe what it was done, when it was done, and why. Um, yes. So just like a little signature at the top to be like author, like Saskia, date this, and like just a brief description of the analysis. That's actually um, really good, right? Good practice. Not something I necessarily regularly do unless it's our markdown, which forces me to do this. Yeah, I mean, like it's not something I'm really in a strong habit of doing. And to be honest, I actually don't submit that much code to like clusters or that sort of thing. So I I feel like that's a bit of a different thing. Um, no, it should still have it, right? Because hmm. it, it doesn't impede the cluster from running. And it would no, be, but, if yeah. it's useful for someone 
who comes back to it. And this is mm -hmm. potentially a function, not at this stage it wasn't production ready, but it is potentially a function that in the future is meant to be used by my colleagues who would probably appreciate it if there yep. was some more information <laughs> in this in this card. Yeah, yeah. So that's like, but like, um, yeah, so that's a, like a handy thing to do, I think. Um, and something that I think I should, I, I should do more um, and I don't. Uh, I then moved all the libraries up to the top, like all the oh, library yeah. calls, just yep. so it's like... A Neater. Bit, yeah, so sort of like all of that should fail at the start, hopefully, like so then like you don't get halfway through and then you yes. have a library call, something oh, you don't have. You know what the library calls... Okay, so this is an interesting one, right? Um, the library calls in my, in my um, code are actually, some of them are in a function, Yes. And they're in this function because that's how parallel works. It like like it needs to open all of these, or at least that's how I understand it, or that's how I've gotten it to work. Mm -hmm. It needs those libraries to open at each node, and that's why it's better to have them in the function statement because I am running this this function in parallel. Uh, okay, that is interesting. I did not know about that. Um... There might be another way. There might be a way to export the specific function that you're using from those packages into um, into each of your environments, hmm. um, but or into each of your like nodes. But um, that's not what I did here. I was just lazy and just opened yeah. them up because it doesn't take that long. And then the rest yeah, of yeah. the f the function call is actually what takes like a long time. Hmm. Yeah. So you're running some stuff in parallel here, which is like to do with the the yeah like where you're running this on like a cluster exactly um, okay so yeah but normally yes i agree i like my libraries to all go at the top um yeah. i try to be good about that even though sometimes you're not and then again i have seen other styles sometimes in teaching it can be useful to show where sort of the libraries are used and to do the library statement where you kind of are requiring the library for the first time yeah, that can be handy to be like to signify like a little placeholder. Like I am using this here. Um, like I'm about to start using this particular tool. Um, but I think that if you want to be really specific about that, you can call it directly. Um, can't remember the exact way to describe this, but it's where you write the package name. Um, say for example, requirements is what I used um, to identify the requirements of this, and then and then you write colon colon, and then you have access to all the functions inside that package. Yeah, um, that does take a bit more typing. It's not always like that. Yeah, is what? Yeah, it's probably the better way to do it. But this is like an easy hack to yeah, yeah. not have to bother with this. But yes, normally function statements in uh, library statements and functions are not super nice and probably to be avoided. Yeah, but. It's interesting um, that that's like... That's like an easy hack around having to think about how to get certain yeah. libraries in a parallel system. I like that. Um, you then change the output for scientific notation, which is something I always forget about, but I think it's really nice. So that's like when you... So like you don't get something like, like 1.58 like e to the negative 10 or something like that. Is that to avoid that kind of stuff? That's a that's a good point. I don't actually know what that does. See, yeah. because <laughs> yeah, yeah. we're finding out about my terrible habits because um, the first bit of the script, right, was sort of copied from someone else's script um, 
because it does all the stuff that you need to do for a cluster script run. So this is meant to be run as an R script. Um, so it has arguments and stuff. And so sometimes for these things, you do things like an initial garbage collection and um, set some parameters at the top. And yeah, that's okay, yep. the stuff I just copied from someone else's script. So I don't actually know what this does, but yeah, that's probably changing. Yeah, it's probably exactly what you say. It's probably avoiding 10 to the power of statements. The other thing you've done here is you have this command args. So I actually learned a bit like reading this. I forgot about command args. Um, like you were setting these commands for something. I think this had to do with the fact that you're running this as a script um, because yes. I didn't really... So like it looks like there's something kind of special happening here. Um, exactly. So this is meant to be run as an R script, right? And as such, you can handily pass some arguments to the script. So this is kind of akin to running more of a shell program like think about your old Perl program where you have like two arguments that you want to go into those Perl programs and these could be files or could be numbers and this is what R can emulate as well uh, okay that makes a lot of sense because I, I was getting nothing but that makes sense because I'm running it interactively um, so yeah I this can't is do not that. code meant to be even run interactively Ah, okay, that's really interesting because then that means that you can pass it arguments in the same way that you like have a function and you pass a function arguments. Yeah, um, yeah, cool. and it makes it like it makes it really handy to write like tiny little snippets of code for things that you do all the time, but are slightly computationally heavy, so you don't want to run them interactively, but you want to have. Um, other like other people potentially also run them and so they don't want to even see the script they just want to know okay I, i'm just going to use this sure. but so yeah sure so, so that means that they can run something in like the terminal and then run like yeah. our script and then run exactly. the code and they can go back to doing something else they don't have to sit there and right it, in a proper script that would be production remedy you would actually at the top as you said tell people this is how you want to use this this is the r script statement and mm -hmm. this is the arguments the script takes so that's like a part that's totally missing from the code here, and which is why it was hard for Nick. <laughs> it was never it's, it was uh, never meant to be. Well, this is really interesting because I think that one thing I hear a lot in bioinformatics is a lot about um, pipelines. So how you have a process where you like you run things that are not R to to do certain like data formatting or extraction yep. or other steps, and, and so heaps in this code. Mm, yeah. yeah, so then you wouldn't necessarily be like, like you're not necessarily in R, because when I think of someone doing analysis, like I think of someone, say, opening R Studio or something, and then they're in R Studio like, doing their analysis, whereas someone in bioinformatics might have a terminal open or be running a script from yeah, the terminal think, that doesn't just do R things, it does other things as well. Yeah, so I think in bioinformatics, the interesting bit is that we really have a sort of two-step process, right, where once... Where in other disciplines, once you have your data, you go straight to analysis. In bioinformatics, it's like you have your data and then you do pre-processing, which is where those pipeline steps come in. Mm. And, um, and that's a lot of just bash scripting and using tools that are faster than R. A lot of still yeah. ancient Perl code, um, but also just a lot of C code that other mm. people have written. Um, and because the formats of the data are very prescribed, um, it's clear what these pre-processing steps need to be. 
-hmm. And so you can just put in any type of data and you don't even need to look at it if you want to do particular things. Yeah, that makes so, sense. And then after that, after you've gotten something out of this, these pre-processing steps that you initially have to do, then the data analysis follows. So you have this in the middle step that you don't necessarily yeah. get with other disciplines. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, well, that makes a lot, like, a lot more sense. Um, yeah, that, so this is just but one step of the... This is in the this is in the pre-processing. So I gave yep. you something that was very much still at the end of a pre-processing part mm -hmm. bit of the the sort of like pipeline as you would want to call it. Yeah. But that's essentially where our code probably has to sort of style-wise it'd be mm -hmm. nice to look the best there, right? Because that's the part that other people potentially would want to re re reuse whereas when you have Something like an analysis, right? Sometimes styling it up to the nth degree is not necessarily where you want to invest your time potentially, mm -hmm. because that is a that's something that you're not going to reuse again in the way you'd be reusing this type of script. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. Like you'd, that's why I think it's really handy to have something that just quickly does a format of the code, so then you just sort of get like. 80% there and then and then it can move on rather than spending a lot of time going through and adding your own like special touches to it. Yeah. Um, now, one thing I noticed is that you interchange the assignment with the equals, which is uh, not really, it doesn't actually change anything, but just an interesting style point. Yes, um, it's not something you should be doing. And But in that line, I wrote here like a little comment. I said, Jenny Bryan will set your computer on fire <laughs> because you hard-coded a file like directory path, which is unlikely to exist on someone else's machine. Yes. And, and if you're going to be running this in, a high, in HPC, this. yeah. No, and that needs, to, that needs to be another argument. So, there is a, so we have these genome references that um, everything we do needs to sort of be compared to these. So I had coded my file path in there and I haven't actually changed it into an argument. And yes, Jenny Bryan would set my computer and my code on fire yeah. because that's terrible. But yeah, that just needs to change. <laughs> um, what else do I have here as notes? Uh, I noticed that you grabbed the file extension out of something like using Gsub, which is cool. Um, there's actually something in the tools package which comes with BaseR called file underscore ext, which will grab the file extension. Oh, that's um, so good, yeah. Just as a, as a, that's as like a so handy thing better. to know. Um, you use Pace Zero a lot, which I think is good, but I, if you're you loading like glue, a tidyverse, yeah. I like Glue. I, I think Glue helps make things a bit more readable later on down the track. Um, this becomes particularly relevant as we get a bit further along into code. You have some... This uh, this function called one run. Um, yes, which so just, that's the yeah. function that gets parallelized, and where we had the library statements yeah. in there earlier, and that has yeah. A so I, I, like I think here, like you're doing a lot of calls. Yeah, yeah. There's a ton, and here you're doing a, a couple of calls, like where you're calling system things, which is like where you're running code inside R as if you're running it in the terminal. And yeah, you're, so it's so it's like, giving out essentially what it does. It is putting out a statement to the terminal asking it to run this particular piece of code and then report back when it's done and then keep continuing with the code. And so this is this is where we were saying earlier in bioinformatics because you're using all these other tools, it's really 
handy to be able to do this from R, right? So you can do yeah. all of your nice little tweaks and programming, but then still have these lovely terminal like system calls that then do other things on your data. Yeah. That might yeah, be faster. Yeah, and that's like, I think that's handy. Uh, like that's really neat. Um, one thing I would suggest here would just be trying out glue to see how that, if that makes anything easier to read. That's uh, But I think for the most likely. part... It was pretty easy to read. I think there is one thing you use one to length um, for something, which is a apparently. So if you have something of, um, so if you have length, like you can get length zero if something like doesn't exist. Oh yeah, that and then it doesn't do yeah then it. Does something so weird. then you get one to zero, and then you get, um, and then it yeah, which means that your loop will still run, but it won't necessarily like. Um, yeah. So how does that work? If you have length of. No, it numeric. will go backwards, right? And that's not necessarily that's not ideal. Yeah. Whereas if you have like seq underscore along. So um, yeah, this is very old style programming, right? Because what yeah, I, I mean, do, like it's what I do here is I actually like initialize an object to then save whatever I do for every iteration of the for loop, which is something that I think I mean L apply and other things have largely mm -hmm. made sort of these calls void, but in this case, because I was trying to also parallelize it at the same time and doing mm -hmm. multiple loops that are inter sort of in in well inter inside of each other mm -hmm. then it makes that sort of easier to program there's probably yeah. better ways but i like. think like for the most part honestly i think that there's like a lot of like a lot of people don't like for loops and that sort of thing but i think it's relatively easy to understand the intent here and it's it's quite short i think that things start to get um like that's the thing i think that is the quote unquote like problem that people have with for loops isn't necessarily that they're slower or whatever. It's that sometimes it makes your intent harder to understand. But I think that that, like for me, was relatively straightforward to understand here. Yeah, but because you there's did, like five lines only in the yeah. for loop instead of um, very long. I think it becomes problematic when you think when you have like a for loop and then another for loop or like a while statement in there. Like that becomes way more problematic for me. Yeah, it's. It's a bit confusing. Um, you've then got this thing where you have this data frame of S apply with like S apply and there's just like a lot of brackets and like referring to things and like, so I don't know what was happening there, but like something. Um. Yes, this is horrible, making horrible data frames and he's, yeah, Nick is completely right. Because of the way that I did these for loops and I've saved my data now, getting what I want back from the data is kind of not not hard, but it's it's like, you know, it's nested in yeah. in a list. And so I do all these as apply statements in order to get into my list. And so there are, yeah, there's two nested as apply statements, which is never something people enjoy, right? Yeah. So there's two nested as apply statements <clears throat> and then you have them six times. Um, and in a data, and then try to make them into the data frame. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that it's like, it's definitely nice. one of these things where I was like, I like want to know what this is uh, because I think there's like like another way to express this. 
yes. but uh, I couldn't run the data. Um, no, no, no. I mean, that's fair. Like, right? This could be, be a function written of how to get out of this rest, out of my mm -hmm. results object that I've made earlier from my for loop, how to get then out of yeah. that, like, the, yeah, it's the like information how to pluck that these. I want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I do this, like, a couple of times. So it yeah, would so there's actually a pretty neat function in Per called pluck, which allows you to pluck out, like, a certain element out of a list. So if you want to get the third thing out, you oh. can use pluck. And it also allows you to refer to things by name. Sometimes you have a named list where instead of, like, yeah. the first or second or third element, the it has this a name, like, one, two, or three. I didn't, I didn't have the foresight. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> but it but is I think, not a fair point, right? It, you could just start naming things. Yeah, but it's, like, honestly, I think it's actually, like, like it's quite good, really. And then, like, you're running some analysis here with, like, a linear model using NLS. Um, yeah. And then you make some plots and you extract the coefficients from these, uh, like, the fits that you make. Um and I think for the most part, like, that's, like, relatively clear to me. And sure, like, there might be things that you might want to do later on down the track to make that a bit, uh, like, more compact or something. But I don't actually really think that that's, like, necessary. Um, yeah, no. But, like, I mean, I think this is, it's really good. Like, I think as a takeaway for me, it's, like, there are so many more packages that I could be using and, like, little functions that would be helping me out in order to mm. not make so many nested statements. I guess, like, plug would help mm. like um d just running all these helper functions earlier to put put things in that in their proper place um and having things like glue mm -hmm. i think that would be helpful in refactoring this code and making it more friendly yeah but like yeah i mean like but i think like i get the overall intent and for me, as someone who's actually, I, I can't necessarily run it. I think I understand, like, what you're trying to do here. Um, and, like, it's not as if, like, I'm, like, I look at this and be like, I have no idea. Like, I have a pretty good idea of what is happening. Which is amazing so think, because Nick doesn't do any bioinformatics. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I mean, totally and, like, what I that. think is happening could be wrong, right? Like, I don't, like, I don't know. Um, but, um, but, like, I don't know. I think... Um, Overall, well done. Um, I think it's, you know. <laughs> I mean, it has um, worked. So this is the other good part. Like I've. That is, yeah. All right. Yeah. So you can confirm it ran. That's it ran. It has good. run at least six times already. So. Oh, nice. Anyway, we came to all of this um, because you were talking about naming. And then I said, mm. oh, let's talk about style because that's obviously naming is part of style. Mm -hmm. um, and. That has unfortunately then left a room for doing all of this, all of the beautiful code review that we just did. But we do still want to mention that there are n new names coming in for gather and spread in the tidyverse. Yeah. So this is, um, it's going to be pivot wider and pivot longer is the other new names. So I think there's a bit of interesting history here where Hadley had, um, Originally, like originally written the reshape package, um, and yeah, he had like a way to reshape and deshape things, but he had to change the name of these because um, because they had a name conflict with Basar. So then he changed them to cast and, and melt, 
as ways yep. to refer to like how to rearrange the data. Um, and then that was, and then he had the reshape two package. Um, what's interesting is that like there's actually the original documentation for the reshape package, like had had dot nz slash reshape. So this is like before there was before like before he the, even moved. <laughs> yeah, this is like um, this is Hadley's old website, um, and yeah, and he has it's just like an interesting sort of look back on the current process of naming things. Um, so the reshape two package came along, which was faster and a bit more specialized than reshape two. And then they renamed it to tardyr. They created a new package and that had different verbs called gather and spread. And that uh, was sort of, so gathering was where you're trying to create fewer columns and spreading was where you're creating more columns. But it turns out that that wasn't necessarily clear, like if you're gathering like on the rows or if you're gathering, like it was unclear what that really meant. Yes, to uh, many people, it was super confusing. Hmm. I think I've heard, like, uh, well, me included, I have had to look that up every single time, I feel. And I've had heard many people. And when we were um, doing um, the OpenSci conference and people were creating tiny little documentation for um, functions, the first thing that people asked for was gather and spread. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's um, yeah. So it's been something that's been like kind of like always a little bit confusing. And I I remember Julie Silgi had like a Twitter post where she said she had a real come to Jesus moment of like understanding what gather and spread meant. And I feel like a lot of people have this moment where like like everything kind of crystallizes and like oh I get it. And it's like you like want to shout it out. You're like I understand. Like, but it's not always clear. So I think the the idea here is that this is you're making things wider and longer and the pivot prefix is like referring to the fact that you're reshaping and like pivot has come from, I think Excel has these pivot tables. Um, I don't really use Excel, so I can't really comment on that. Um, the interesting thing about this, I think, is that Hadley actually got a Twitter poll or he had a form for people to submit to say like what sort of what name they want and then he used that data to help drive what the the actual pa like these new function names are going to be that is super cool and like great that he like took the initiative and listened to like the community feedback on this yeah i think it's it's quite it's quite tricky because like sometimes what people want isn't necessarily like the best name you know like uh not that this would really happen in this case, but you know, there's like the story of the um, was it the the Antarctic boat called oh, like yeah. <laughs> Bodie McBoatface? Uh, great name, so, you know, I mean, great name. Probably don't want to call the function that. Um, but yeah, it ended up being like he had a really clear description of like why that is, and he's got a good analysis written up. Um, but he yeah, also so I think had some hmm. suggestions, right, for what to call things. That probably makes it easier. I believe so. So Where the, it's like Boaty McBoatface was like anything goes <laughs> and that's yeah. probably not the way you want to set up a poll for good naming. You want to give some suggestions of what could be a good name. Yeah. So he had, yeah. 
So he had two questions where he said he had two different tables and then he said which like best describes the shape of these, like this is shallower, shorter or wider. And then he said like is it narrower, taller, deeper or longer? Because as statistician, we know mm -hmm. it's all about how you ask the question, not necessarily what the question is, right? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a... <laughs> yeah. And overwhelmingly, it was like wider and longer were like... So I think the questions were asked pretty well. It's a, it's a really good point, actually, about how you ask a question. It's super important. Yep. Yeah. And this is what, right, also why you probably don't ask, what should I name the function, but instead, like, kind of do it through the back door and be like, what is this format? And then yes. you Yes, yeah, it's like a much clearer... It's yeah. a much better way to ask the question, right? Like, if you just said, what should I call this? I think it would be, like... It would be like really, I don't know. Like, that it's like you give people too many choices. Like, you want to yeah. like restrict the design like decisions people can make. That's where you get Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> yeah. Or I think Melbourne had this, and then like they were like saying like, "What do you want to like call the train stations?" And everyone was naming them after like Game of Thrones things, like Winterfell and other. <laughs> uh, and then they like got oh. like rejected, which. It's a shame, but Melbourne was nearly called Batman. Did you know this? Yeah, that's also not particularly good Australian history. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it changed to to Melbourne, but uh, it was like, yeah, it nearly happened. Okay, so I think I don't know. I think that's is there it anything else we want to cover? No, yeah, I think that's it for today. Um, this is gonna be. I mean, this is it was like fifty minutes recording already. Yeah. So we should be, um, you should be golden, I think. So, yeah. Cool. So that's all I think actually w one thing I did want to say was just yeah. like it's it's cool that Hadley, who is such a big, such a giant in terms of making good names of things and packages that are easy to use, like it's that naming things is still really hard and this is like, I feel like it's like that a lot of people find hard and it's okay to if you find it hard. Yes, like and also, like, hmm. it can change, right? I think with naming in particular, that's hmm. something that can culturally just move very quickly, where yeah. two years ago, get a spread might have made sense, and then now it's better to do long white because that's become crystallized in the teaching that that's what we call these yeah. formats. Exactly, and then... Yeah, and also in, in like the naming of packages as well. Like it went from reshape to reshape two to tardy R. Yeah. And it went from ggplot to ggplot two because Hadley had a lot of breaking changes in the original ggplot when he like made a design decision. Um, there was the ply R package, which then became dplyr. Um, and so there's like all of these sort of, I, I guess these iterations that happen. And I think it's just uh, it's just important to note that like it's okay to make these decisions like this if you like don't get it right the first time. If Hadley had spent 10 years working out the right names for these things, we might not have these tools, you know? Yeah. Also, I think it's important to acknowledge that, like, right, we want to actually be flexible with these things and keep changing mm -hmm. them because any language that works, any natural language that works is a language that can evolve. So I think that's, is that it? That is it. All right. It's going to be an interesting episode. Yep. Anyway, so that's it for today. Um, we shall be back in sort of a month or two. Mm -hmm. And um, hopefully we'll have a guest next time. Yeah, sounds good. That would be nice.
should okay, get cool. on that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay. subscribe, um, review, add us on Twitter, um, follow us on I Twitter. Order, uh, what's your handle? At Trashy Stats. And I'm at NJ underscore TNE. Um, and we are also at Credibly, Credibly Curious. And yep. you can also send us an email. Which is CredibleCurious at gmail.com. Yeah. And give us some feedback. That yeah, sounds lovely. good. All right. So um, I guess like That's stay good. credible, stay curious. I stay credible. <laughs> Love it. Love the yeah. sign off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. All right. That was good.